0: Hello, this is Ruslan Malinowski. Hello,
1: this is Roman Yeremchuk.
0: Hello, I'm Sergei Erebro.
1: And you're listening to Ukraine Post (laughs)
0: Football.
2: Ukrainian football season has reached its halfway stage. Winter break is upon us. Unlike in recent seasons where players would be actively preparing for Christmas and New Year's with their families, this year, alongside the rest of the country, their main priority will be to make it through to 2023, juggling outages caused by Russian missiles. As such, for the duration of today's episode, we'd like to at least bring some figurative warmth to our listeners as we dissect the cycle of the campaign. Andrew's just come back from an extended time in Ukraine. I mean, Andrew, I suppose the question on everyone's mind is, how is the league carrying on with all these power outages?
0: First of all, I arrived in Ukraine yeah, about mid-November, and that was just around the sort of first snowfall of the year. Uh, I was in Ushorod, I was in ivano frankivsk I was in Lviv, and I was also in Kiev. So good little tour of uh, east, of western Ukraine and then obviously in the capital. For the most part, everything was going quite smoothly in Ushorod, for example, because as far as everything goes over there, it's relatively detached from the rest of the country in terms of war experience, in my opinion. Yes, you get some lights uh, street lamps going off or anything like that, but the actual stadium atmosphere or focus isn't much of a much different from a usual one. Obviously, still behind closed doors, but everything's okay. And because uh, the Avanhard Stadium in Ushkarad has got terrible lighting as it is, all of the matches there have to take place during the day, as it is. So there is no possibility of a match continuing into nightfall, if there's like an air raid delay or something, it's most likely going to be postponed until the next possible day when they can play it. Ivan Van Kiewsk as well Even though it was quite snowy, there wasn't any air raid siren during the match. However, (laughs) funnily enough, there was uh, a moment where I think the lights in the changing rooms, etc., weren't on during the first half. And then that also had an impact on the live stream of the game on YouTube. So the official broadcast, which is shown on YouTube that wasn't being shown and well whilst I was there I was filming a corner and Livy have scored and I think I'm the only one that's got or had the footage of that goal you know for the, for that time being and similarly yeah, there were loads of people complaining about oh what the hell we can't watch we can't we can't see because uh, the stream's not working however then the second half started and the scoreboard the electric scoreboard was switched off but It looked like a a generator or a car engine with some some wires coming out of it. That was plugged in somewhere. And apparently the live stream started working for the second Mm -hmm. half. So, you know, those are the sort of consequences you have to deal with, either no light in the change rooms or watching it, not being able to watch it on a live stream. And then there were issues with 12 players being on the pitch um, that not many people were able to really take notice of because... Well, especially if you're watching on on YouTube or wherever, because obviously the connection issues, although that wasn't too problematic. Then when I went to Lviv, uh, I went to see Shakhtar versus Varskla. And it was on the day when uh, the Russians started bombing all of the major energy centers of Ukraine again. They hit a number of places, but I was already in my taxi sort of when the sirens went off. So I got to Arena Lviv. And obviously it's on the edge of town, middle of nowhere. You can't really tell what was going on. And it was still just before nightfall. So about a couple of hours before nightfall or anything like that. So couldn't really tell exactly what was happening. But whilst I got there, I had to wait outside for like an hour before I was allowed in. I was being told that in the city centre, there was like completely no power. And in all of Lviv as well. But... What happened was we got inside, got into the sort of little changing room bit where you sit during the air raid sirens. Then the air raid sirens sort of finished and all the lights came on again. So I assume, as far as I'm aware, that these stadiums, or well, for example, World and Olivia, they've got their own energy sources in terms of sort of big generators that are allowed to keep the floodlights, everything else inside as well, the electrics, The Wi-Fi wasn't working until deep into the second half for the game that I was there. The advertising hoardings, that came on around midway towards the end of the first half where it was sort of reloading and that kind of thing. Very surreal in general. And then by the time the match finished, I don't know, it wasn't that late, maybe 7pm local time, got back into City Centre. And City Centre-wise, all the lights were back on. So L'Aviv was like, okay from that perspective then i got to kiev the next day and that's where like proper you properly experience the realities of everything that's going on where literally i was staying around a friend's house no electricity no or next to no 3g 4g signal on your phone no wi-fi nothing luckily there was water where, where we were staying so we were just about able to have you know, a shower or something. Or other than that, it was pretty tough. And I think it, the electricity came on sporadically over the sort of four days that I was there, maybe once or twice for a few hours, and then that was it. I also went to obviously the Lobanovsky whilst I was in Kiev and that similarly i think is run on generators but also the city centre of kiev power supply is a bit better there like directly in the city centre where the lobanovsky is and as obviously it's a smaller stadium compared to for example the Olimpijski, which is sort of the lights are completely switched off there like or were for the f- sort of full few days that i was there the Lobonovsky has it on, the scoreboard was on, everything was okay. And in the end, you know, that's like the home stadium for not just Dynamo, but Zoria. And a number of other teams have been playing there over the course of the past few months, especially since the energy situation has got really bad since mid-October. But as far as it goes, by the time everyone's listening to this, the season will have come to its mid-season break. Every match has been able to finish properly through natural causes, if we can say that way, where in terms of, you know, the match was able to be finished after air raid sirens and, you know, the energy situation hasn't impacted anywhere other than Dnipro 1 against Alexandria, which I think was about nil nil into 10, 20 minutes in their game about mid-November. But they had to cancel it because of the lighting situation at The had, which is actually nothing to do with the energy supply. It's just to do with uh, the stadium that we've known for years um, that that problem is around. So they're going to be playing that one in in the spring, but everything else, I think, should be all in order.
2: Yeah, thank you for that. It's hard hard to know where to go from, you know, your account there. And it does bring home the harsh realities that everybody back home is facing on a day-to-day existence. Amazingly, there still seems to be constant coverage of the World Cup throughout Ukraine. Ray, you seen any of the matches?
1: Uh, hello, Adam. Yeah. Surprisingly, we are covering the World Cup, which we haven't done uh, yet on our part because we started you know, in the year of uh, uh, Euro 2020. So here we go. Uh, I've seen some matches. I could not ignore them. Uh, and, uh, I couldn't say I enjoy them, you know, because some, somehow it feels plastic to me. I mean, the broadcasts, it's not, pr- probably not because I watch them uh, bootleg as I usually do, but, uh, and Megogo is not supported in the countries where, which I visited, unfortunately. Uh, so I either catch Suspilne broadcast, which is the Ukrainian national TV, which Andrew attended. Maybe he will share some stories, uh, with us later, and, or I catch, um well, Canadian or uh, Spanish uh, language uh, broadcasts. And it's not even about that, as I said. It's about the picture, you know, the atmosphere, which you could tell from the from the match. Uh, it's not like any other tournament I've seen before, not mentioning the 2018 World Cup, who, which was barely watched by Ukrainians for obvious reasons. 2022, um, it brought us some great results, but I appeared to Uh, find out about them post-factum, you know, after they happened, so from other sources. So I never seen uh, them live in action, like those thrilling matches in the last uh, match day of group stage. I think it's the first time since 1994 that uh, none of the teams have uh, have, uh, earned nine points or something. But again, we've seen some spectacular examples of Ukrainian-style uh, football uh, scenarios. I mean, look at Spain, right? How many teams in the end of either a midterm uh, championship or the end of it play a fixed result? Or Brazil, you know, the Pentacampeones or whatever. <laughs> These huge teams, they play by Ukrainian standards, they play fixed results to avoid um, finishing top. Bottom line is, uh, I'm pleased with how the World Cup is going so far. Uh, still few sensations and uh, a few good uh, names to be brought up on uh, the surface. But I'm still thinking that I a mean, huge national team like Netherlands or Argentina will end up winning the tournament.
0: Worth mentioning in there as well that obviously Morocco made it through to the quarterfinals for the first time in their history. And Alexander Shrovkovsky no longer stands alone in the penalty shootout World Cup Hall of Fame for having a shutout completely in a penalty shootout in the knockout stages of a World Cup tournament. Now he's joined by Bunu Bono as he's known for Morocco who also kept a clean sheet in the game against Spain. He saved all three penalties that were faced against him, unlike Shrubkovsky who I think only made two saves because uh, I think... Was is it Trenqueta, or however he's called, he hit the crossbar uh, back in 2006. But a very similar game, in my opinion, that that Round of 16 match between Morocco and Spain, lots of parallels, uh, a nil-nil full-time and extra time. And then the underdogs, well, maybe not the underdogs, but the guys making it through to the Round of six to the quarterfinal for the first time
2: ever. I think highlight for me, though, from the group stage has to be Switzerland knocking out Serbia in uh, what was a fantastic performance, in particular by Shikiri and uh there. Uh, in the second half, it's one that will go down in the, the history books. Well, yeah, you said, uh, Andrew, you ended up being the face of England, the English national team on Ukrainian TV the other week?
0: Something like that. Uh, I was invited by... Um a friend of mine, Alex Manzi, who's one of the hosts of the Ukrainian national broadcaster Sospinna's highlight show at the end of each day. I was in Kiev for England versus USA. So I was brought in as I guess the in-house England expert, and also Wales, because they were they were playing against Iran on that match day. And the thing about Kiev and all of Ukraine, most of Ukraine anyway is that the last round of matches in a day, which are 7pm kickoff for UK time, 8pm Central European, they obviously kick off at 9pm and they finish, you know, close to 11, especially with all this added time that you get. And 11pm is curfew in Ukraine. So you can't be going out anywhere really to watch those 7pm games, those 9pm games and on top of that, there's no power in most places. <laughs> like, for example, if you want to watch it at home or, or your apartment, you can't because the power's out and you can't really watch it. Uh, so for those people lucky enough to have power on that evening, um, I went to the sort of Spinless Studios, which is just off Hrushchatyk, and watched it there uh, with a good friend of the pod, Andrei Senkyov, uh, Vilat. Uh, Vitali Volatry, who's one of the commentators on Sospiner, he was also there, and then after all those matches were finished, was able to you know give a give a bit of a panel talk, pundit style, uh, about what was going on in those games. Was interesting to sort of a, a good fun experience. Uh, just a shame, obviously, that probably a lot of people weren't able to to tune in really not just for that show, but to watch the games as as themselves because of the situation. And then obviously, due to the fact that the curfew ends, uh, well, the curfew is on by the time the show finishes at midnight, you get a sort of special taxi uh, that takes you back to wherever you live uh, through the empty streets of Kiev, which was completely surreal. However, most of Kiev was in like pitch black darkness so you couldn't really make out too much where exactly you were other than the fact that on every other corner there was like a police car with its like blue lights on uh obviously searching for any ruffians who are trying to break the curfew or or something like that but yeah it was a great experience to be on it's just being in this show and was was good to good to see some masters at work like uh thank senkiev who's Go from strength to strength recently.
2: Just quickly, guys. I was asked by a number of people on Twitter, "What's the beef with Cameroon? Why was everybody so happy that Cameroon uh, were eliminated?" Now, perhaps for I know most of our listeners will probably know why, but for those who are uh, scratching their heads wondering, could anyone enlighten us on it?
1: I would assume that it's because uh, of the uh, part of the ammunition of one of the players who was brought up in um, Russian Federation and uh, was uh, smart enough to put the um, uh, symbol of this uh, fake country on his uh, boots. Uh, Whereas um, the um, armband, which was given by Andrey Shevchenko to Robert Lewandowski was uh, either uh, banned or um, restricted to be worn during the matches by FIFA. I might be uh, wrong, but. The uh, end product is that we have not seen it on uh, Robert Lewandowski's uh, arm. And Poland was eliminated by uh, France, but same what happened to Cameroon. And um, yeah, that's probably why it's why everybody's happy about it.
0: Um, Yeah. Just to add to that, Ray, uh, it's Gail Ondua, who currently plays for Hanover. Uh, He was raised in Russia. And play for Angie or something like for one season and decided to have that on his boots. He got what was coming to him I guess and they also had another player who plays for Dynamo Moscow at the moment too. So, you know, Cameroon went out on a whim, all all was all was resolved
2: quickly before we move on. Obviously, FIFA have embarrassed themselves infantino in particular and there's it's it's going to be very hard for him to come back from sort of the shame he's putting himself and the, the Federation in over the last few weeks. What disasters are we expecting him to organise for the next tournament coming up in 2026? I'm hearing rumours of penalty shootouts before games, and it can't get any worse, can it, for FIFA?
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting, to say the least. He's most likely going to be... Well, I think he is 100% being... Uh, running unopposed in 2023. So he is going to be the new president and will oversee that big tournament in America, USA, uh, Canada, and in Mexico. 48 teams, the first ever tournament that is going to have that expansion. At the moment, I think there was this rumour that I think it would be 16 groups of three teams but now there's talk of they're going to switch it to 12 groups of four teams after obviously the success of this current knockout group stage. And also there's the problem of the draws in group stage games for some reason being an issue for FIFA. I don't know why, but there's rumours that they want to bring in. If a game is does finish as a draw, you can win a bonus point by winning a shootout at the end of it, which... I mean, would be quite interesting, but obviously we'll remove a lot of the jeopardy that comes with those final group stage matches or even those second game matches where, I mean, we've seen loads of entertainment on show in this World Cup. It's just a shame that it's obviously in the country and surrounded by everything that is revolved uh, around this World Cup as a result of it. Um So I I guess we'll see. It obviously gives Ukraine a a better chance of qualifying. I think that Europe gets another few spots, so it will probably be some sort of playoff um, that you have to go through to to make it. But uh, nonetheless, I think it's going to be an interesting tournament. Obviously, in slightly better conditions than uh qatar for example despite the complaints of some people um who like to counter with what about ism but uh we will see it i think one of the main things is is that obviously at the moment ukraine is still looking for to host the 2030 edition but there are rumors that at the moment due to current investigations into uh the president of UAF, Andriy Pavelko, and his general secretary, um, Zapisotsky, that that could hinder Ukraine's chances of hosting the 2030 World Cup. Uh, So we will see how that develops in the coming weeks and months as well.
2: Just going to take a second to giggle at the UAF story there. (laughs) Thank you for that. We're not going to dive into it, though, on this show, people. We will save that for a... A rainy day, maybe outside the Pachess Courthouse. But uh, back to the UPL surprise leaders mentioned the unmentionables or unmentioned or, or the unmentionables already tonight. So we're gonna bring it more domestic style and the unmentionables are top going into Christmas. The Nepro minus one, shock leaders really, aren't they? Um deservedly so though.
0: Nepro one at the moment. I think they probably are deserved of the top spot in the UPL for this first half of the campaign. They have been consistently the best side. They've been getting the, the wins that are needed against their th- three main rivals. I think they've beaten Zoria, uh, Dynamo and Shakhtar. They got that key win when I went to Ujord, Uh, and looked the better side, really. Shakhtar just looked very spent. Um, sort of ran out of ideas. Maybe the game plan wasn't there on the day, but you know, Dovbik had a bit of a masterclass. Pichalionok showing himself against obviously his former club that he was loaned out to for multiple occasions from, and yeah, they've got a good duo there, and then a load of uh, complementary players such as uh, Adam uh Svatok playing very uh, defend very well defensively this season couple of those uh foreign players that are in their Busanello. less said about max for the better but somehow despite his performances in goal Pro one continue to um surge up the table up until the final match of the year against krivbas bus they hadn't lost a game but then they did they lost that game one nil um you know, that probably was coming uh, for a fair bit because they have, um, how should I put it, lived close to the edge in a number of games, especially I think one me and Ray went to earlier in the season against Ruch, uh, when then there was that massive scrap at the end of the game. And, you know, they were getting consistently lucky. And, you know, Krivbos beat them 2-1 very convincingly, I think, in the end. I think similarly, maybe Dnipro 1 were a bit spent themselves coming into that final game. They had to travel to Dnipro-Petrovsk region for the first time since they obviously left about five months ago at the start of the season, because obviously they're based in Kosice, and they come into Ukraine every week uh, to play in Ushrod and then they go back out again. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to Dolpik because recently, literally in the past week, uh There's been talk from his agent who said that that apparently the rumoured seven to eight million that Salah Natana want to pay for him or have offered is like nowhere near what he's going to go for because obviously he's boosted his profile this half season even more. Uh, That's what the agent says because of obviously his performances in the Conference League, um, in the Premier League, he's the top scorer, he's one of the best players in the league. Similarly, it seems difficult to see Dnipolot one playing without him if they want to win the league. And I think they're going to probably be desperate to win the league. So they are going to try and tie him down probably as best as they possibly can. The question is, will he agree to that? What's going to happen there? There are alleged rumours, according to Tatal together that uh, Yevhen Krasnikov, the sporting director of Nipro One, has very close ties to uh, Artem Dovbik and also Milo Mudrik in terms of the uh, you know, the ownership of the players, the agent of the players. So the fact that Krasnikov, if he is linked to Dovbik, he's probably going to be doing everything that he can to keep the player at the club, to try and get them over the line, win the league. Then they've got that Champions League playoff spot. He can attract a load more uh, south american players to come to the club help them win that playoff spot uh for the champions league and then they've got 20 million plus for the champions league group stages next season so it's actually quite big money that could be made if the likes of someone like dolbik who is so key to the side in terms of goal scoring and you know bringing the match points in to remain However, Dolvig's contract. Nipro One expires in December 2023. So that's one year from now. You've got one year left on his contract. So if Nipro One really want to make some money on him, I guess if he doesn't uh, resume, it's going to be this season or this window. However, they very much might try and tie him to a new deal. And then they're going to add a new obviously, sell-on clause and uh, buy-out clause and everything else that adds to that. Because if they don't do that by, obviously, the summer, he can sign a pre-contract with any club that he wants to. However, as we've just mentioned, due to his sort of agent links uh, in terms of uh, if the rumours that he's close to Krasnkova to be believed, that might be a bit more difficult. And he may choose the option that obviously favours Pro 1 in the long run. And I mean, he is 25, 26 now. And I mean, it's going to be getting on if he really wants a big move to one of those leagues to try and you know, adapt to that league once he gets there. As we know, many of our other players have in the past.
2: Yeah, I mean, we know clubs across Europe, once when players hit 26, 27, there's a huge question mark against them about whether they can make the transition or not. My personal opinion, when it comes to Bix, some of the teams that have been linked with him, Salernitana. Now, if he's got a chance to play Champions League compared to go and play for Salernitana, the greatest respect to them. I personally, I'd, I'd want him to to hold on a little bit longer than to to sell for one of these lower lower level teams in one of the big leagues across Europe just so you can have a bigger payday but uh, it's my own personal take on it oh, oh, time, time will tell Krasnikov will definitely have a big role to play in Vovvic's uh, future Andrew you mentioned uh, Mudrick uh, earlier there as well Mudrick is he now at the level I'm going to come to you Ray on this is Modric now performing at the level where we can say, yes, he is, you know, international level? Has he now done enough to say he's proved himself and he is that top level talent that we've been talking about him in that of the potential to be for uh, the last few years?
1: Well, we've, we've talked about Modric for a while now. And um, I said, I've said previously, it's a gap for him between uh, championship and uh, the uh, Euro- European leagues. I mean, the um, Europa League and Champions League, uh, they're going to play there, but uh, we don't we don't want him to be discouraged and we don't want him to lose this uh, spark and flair, which he occasionally, I must uh, stress that occasionally shows. Um, it's... Um, it's a Blade Runner competition, you know, and he cannot um, he cannot afford and cannot accept himself to be stuck on this um, blade as it is, like playing for shachter in these circumstances. Um, I would say that um, it's not Dovbek saga and it's not Tsigankov saga. It's his own case, and um, he needs to be uh, patient for at least six months. Then he. Needs to take it. Uh, well, it's not. It's not that uh, he is dependent on Krasnikov or any other guy. We know who runs his um, books, so to speak. Right? Who writes uh, the numbers in his books? Shakhtar CEOs. So it's all up to them. And we hope that uh, once again, in their um, in their experience, as they show this season, the hardest season in the Ukrainian football, they pulled it off although they're not the first position in the league, but they are running the club smoothly, they will do the right judgment. Mm,
2: Definitely so. Definitely so. Andrew, you made an interesting post on social media a couple of days ago about um, Mudrik with his personal trainer, or the personal trials with Dovnik, I think, was there as well. And he spoke about his aim to hit 40 kilometres an hour, I mean, for me, it's his, for Mudrick, it's been this desire to improve his physicality over the last 18 months that's seen him step up from being, you know, the boy wonder to the man talent that that we're seeing today.
0: Yeah, I think that finally his ability has sort of reached his ego if that makes sense. Um, Obviously, you have to be a bit of a, you have to believe in your own ability and everything like that. But I think with the recent talk and all this interest coming from the likes of Arsenal uh, and elsewhere, the fact that he's being uh, touted by the likes of Fabrizio Romano every day and he's got so much media interest and he's actually performing on the pitch to good results in the Champions League where everyone's really like hyping him up and showing that. I think that's sort of driving him on. Um, I don't know how much, obviously, that could, that could sort of maybe negatively impact him, but at the moment, I think that it's it's doing him well. The issue is now that he's had a few interviews with m- various people like Blathers, Zincincor and elsewhere where he's saying, hey, I'm ready to go. He's been hinting, oh yeah, I'd love to go to Arsenal or something like that. It's just that Similar story to Dripro One, for example. Can Shakhtar really afford to let him go this mid-season? You know what I mean? Uh, Because, you know, without him, if we're going to be perfectly honest, (laughs) in most of the games this season, they've looked pretty uninspiring. Yes, they've got some players like Kreskiev, Sutakov, still top players, but they're not like as game-changing I would say as Mudrik is in terms of literally can spin a game on his head. They can pull a ball over the top, and he will just literally take it on, score, and that will be it. Without him, I think they could struggle in that second half of the season. And as we've mentioned many times before on the pod, January is a weird time where clubs don't necessarily want to pay mega bucks for talent, um, especially for the type of uh, price tag that Shakhtar are touting. Similarly, like we mentioned, obviously Mulderic's got uh, the same agent or from the same agency as Dovbik, So we will see whether they'll be having a busy January or not. It might actually end up being probably a busier summer, in my opinion, um, whether someone's actually going to come in. Because especially with the World Cup and everything that's going on right now, there's a lot more, I guess, spotlight on talent that are playing there right now, if that makes sense. And they're probably a bit more justified for the price tags that they're probably going to be touted for because they're performing at the World Cup. So, but I think that Mudik probably is ready to go. It's just that whether the club is ready to let him go, really.
2: It's funny you mention mention about potential sort of transfers and players moving in and out there. They've... The Georgians confirmed to be coming in in, in January. They've been linked with uh, a couple of Brazilians as well, which personally really disappointed me. You know, they've received so much praise for playing all these Ukrainians this season and for Shakhtar to want to go back to their old method of searching around Brazilian youth teams and uh, over overpaying for them to bring them to Ukraine. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. You mentioned that Chris, who's who's a player I've liked a couple of times I've seen them this year. He's he's somebody that sort of raises raises an eye. But when Triori comes back gets back to his his best, the whole the whole dynamic of the team will change again when they've got that big powerful center forward. You can actually the, the role of the big, powerful centre forward. The space opens up more for other players to to make those killer passes and attack from different angles. So it'll be interesting times at Shakhtar. But if, if anybody next to Shakhtar's listening, don't bring in any more foreigners. The Ukrainian kids are doing all right. <laughs> um, Ukrainian kids at Dynamo, not. Not actually, they are doing okay, aren't they? Boyalski, in particular, he's uh, it's funny though for me, I was like, when we're prepping for this pop. I thought, nobody ever talks about him going to a
1: top-level European side. And,
2: Ray, you're laughing, but why?
1: He's 30 years old, Adam. Just like me, yes, I know. I remember him very young. And just like me, you probably think that he is still the new Zidane, right? They, they've been calling these guys in France, like, 25 years olds 30-year-olds, <laughs> new Zidans. So that's him. Yeah, the Ukrainian one. Um, he was labelled plenty. He was labelled plenty of names and plenty of skills and uh, awards and praise during his career. But he... He is 30 now and he, it's I wouldn't Jesus. say he, well, it's not it. No, once again, it's not the, uh, um, how would you say it? Um, in, it's not a sentence, you know, he, can, he cannot uh, like label the guy, like he's sentenced to uh, f- um, fall down of his career uh, or whatever it is. I forgot the English name, sorry. Um, so I, what I'm saying is, um Giroud just uh, became the top scorer in France history in 36. So it's all up for grabs for Boyalski in particular, but as I said previously, Boyalski is a limited performer. He is creative play, he's number 10, but imagine that Dynamo had slightly more opportunities in management and transfer uh, market. Would Boyalski would ever shine like he did, like he does. And um, imagine that Bujalski, uh, uh does not score, does not play the leading role, uh, but just uh, being useful. You know, not Sidorchuk-esque Siderchuk, uh, useful, not uh, Luka Modric useful, like invisible uh, player, invisible um, orchestra leader. But imagine that Bojaski is just there for you. And he's just, Stepanenko, let's take Stepanenko, right? Different position, but imagine Stepanenko. We don't talk about him as a, as a bright player that much, as the decisive player, as the um, game-changing player or rising bowler. <laughs> but we keep you keep talking about Bojaski, like bring him on into the national team and he'll make the difference. No, he will not. Because he's just, he cannot be um, out there for you when you need him. He, uh, he has, uh, he's pretentious, you know, he has ambition. And although he's 30, he needs to be, um, it's in his head, you know? And uh, we might not see it, but the coaches do. And uh, Petrakov saw it, Szechenko definitely saw it. And will Ribrov see it uh, the other way around? Because if we remember that Rebrov put him in the squad. Will that be the rise of Boyalski national team? That's my question. I would not want that to happen because for me, it is a sentence. If you're 30, it's time for you to lay low and make the difference out of the picture. You know, be the backstage um, master, you know, the silent, silent assassin.
2: Are you trying to tell me that you should learn how to pour coffee better? (laughs) Um,
1: No. Should that that
2: be his role or have Dinamo got someone else to do that?
1: I think uh, to, uh, to learn how to pour coffee, you need to stay on the bench for quite a while. And Bojalski does not do that, so no. Uh, 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 fair enough, fair enough.
2: I hear, but is it Andrew, is it the setting? Has he got that role this season?
0: Well, he was given that role in a recent match, quite ironically, or unironically, if you want to put it at that. He's been linked with a move to Turkey uh keeps coming flashing up that Siverspore want him however his agents apparently denied rumors saying that yes there's interest but nothing concrete yet and i mean for the grand scheme of things i think dinamo fans would love him to leave but whether he actually will is another story and mm, from the grand scheme of things he's been he's been pretty terrible uh this campaign like one assist or something all season in all the games and one shot and it wasn't even on target or something. So Lots there you of... go. It, it's it just sums up Dynamo Kiev. Even though, as Ray has been saying, Boyalski is a great player in this Dynamo side. Uh, he can do the performances against the likes of like Metalist Kharkiv, um, maybe the lower sides in the league but when it comes to maybe those more crucial games when you have to step up and have someone for example like a Mudrik uh, or a game changer like Dovbik or something like that he goes a bit silent and doesn't perform as as can be said the case for Tsankov who has similarly been playing quite well since uh, Dynamo exited Europe you know they're they're up to third place because Zorya (laughs) uh ended up getting a draw in their final game so that just tells you a whole different picture remember we were you know a few podcasts back we were talking about sort of complete dynamo and complete decay and disruption but still they're still somehow the third best team technically in the league which, which says a lot i guess about the rest of the competition because they have got the quality in there it's just probably the application of it um and everything else that comes with it. And at the moment, as far as I've heard, Luchescu obviously had those number of issues where he said he wanted to leave, but it doesn't look like he is going to leave. Uh, I think he's probably comfortable now. I think he knows that he's got one goal to probably just fight for the end of the season, see if they can try and nab second or something like that. And then he can probably head off because I think his contract or whatever maybe ends this summer or even next, but it'd probably be easier to cut something uh, at the end of a season rather than midway through. Regardless, uh, I don't see much changing over the over the winter break. Probably not too many signings, uh, because Dynamo Kiev, obviously in quite bad money situation. <clears throat> Go back to Dnipro One at the moment. Their secret uh, shadow backer, allegedly Ihor Kolomoysky, as they say, is having some issues with his own income going on there at the moment too in terms of Nafta and some of his other companies. So there's rumors that even Nipro One isn't safe from folding at some stage in the near future. But I think at the moment, with the way that they're in such an ascendancy and like top of the league and everything else, they probably are definitely going to survive until at least the end of the season, get into that Champions League and you know, as you know, it's like a snowball effect. Once you get into the Champions League, it sort of leads on to better players and everything else. And once you're out of the Champions League, it does the opposite effect. The fucking snowball goes backwards. So time will tell. Time will tell. Um, but and, Sorry, Andrew.
1: I think I think Ivo Kolomoisky is the one who invented the exact opposite effect of the snowball when he said, uh, when Dimpereau reached the Europa League final, and after the award ceremony, after they lost the final, Kolmoski said, why did you reach the final? didn't ask you for that. Yeah.
0: So well, that's exactly go. what's
1: going to happen with Champions League. I didn't ask you for Champions League. I asked you, I asked you <laughs> to win the championship. I don't need yeah. that. No one needs that.
0: <laughs> and there we um, have
2: it. Well, we're talking about, Dinamo, any rumours where Sagankov's Sig- going to go?
0: Nope. Absolutely nothing. uh, No one wants him. (laughs) I'm sure that his SEG group agency is touting him left, right and centre. And he's got six months on his contracts coming into this window. So he can do that pre-contract agreement with anyone he wants. Just who will it be is another question. I saw some rumour about him coming in to replace Cody Gakpo, who's going to be leaving PSV after his great World Cup so far in the near future would he would psv be the right sort of place for him to go era divisi you know based on his recent performances and sort of the levels maybe that is probably the best that he can hope for you know what i mean in in the grand terms of in the grand scheme of things i guess uh it, it's it's for me at the moment none the wiser strange
2: one strange one indeed now, elsewhere, we've got to give a, a shout-out to our good friend Mladen Bartolovich. He seems to have taken to management ship, management if that's a word, like a duck to water, as we say. Um, really has. Has he done anything dramatic?
0: They've been OK. It's literally, since he's come in, uh, as far as I'm aware, they've got two quite big victories against Teams around them. So, big win, 1 0 win against Toliviev and Vares to close off the season. And I think, as far as I'm aware, Mladen is still like uh, acting head coach. But, you know, knowing the current situation in Ukrainian football, I wouldn't be surprised if he's given the job full time at some point over the close break or maybe just shortly after it. And I guess the fact that the players know him well enough. And he's probably going to be bringing in continuity uh, from Love And Enko. And as a result of that, you know, having worked in his backroom staff, having played under, you know, a manager that's been there for so long, uh, it probably just added a bit more energy to the team. You know, you always get a new manager bounce. <laughs> Whether he's able to continue with that going in once the league resumes in the spring is another question. Inhulets have probably got. One of the worst squads in the league on paper, you know, just in terms of quality and everything that's around there, you know, alongside the likes of Lviv. Um, so I probably do see them still being in that relegation area towards the end of the campaign. But good on him for getting a good positive start. So
2: we do wish him the best of luck. Surprisingly, though, of course, Odessa and uh, John Moritz, uh, really struggled this first half of the season. We didn't expect to see them so far Then looks like strikers seem to be the big problem down there.
0: Yeah, they've been really quite poor this season. I think a lot of people have been disappointed with their general performances. Obviously, you have truck coming back in, a bit of old-school nostalgia you can say from the high life of the early 2010s when he took them to the Europa League and everything else alongside that but he's not been able to recreate it thus far. Obviously the new owners came in uh, towards the end of last year, then obviously with the full-scale invasion starting the club's return to uh, Odessa after starting the season in Kiev, they're playing matches at the Toronto Moritz Stadium however In recent weeks, they've just not been getting the results that really needed. They drew in this final game of the season, uh, of the half season, against Zurich. They were 2-0 up in the first half and literally threw away in the second. Basically, didn't even pop a performance in the second half and allowed Zurich to grab a point. It looked, if anything, it even looked a bit uh, suspicious. But, I mean, the fact that they've not been playing so well uh, this whole campaign... Maybe you can't really put anything. Look too far into that. On top of that, there could be another big issue coming in with the ownership. Obviously, Toronto Moritz have been having big problems before those owners came in um, last autumn winter. Uh, Godunovski and Kaufman. Now, as far as I'm aware, uh, Oleg Novikov, who's an anti-corruption journalist in Ukraine, is has uh, revealed that Kaufman. One of the benefactors, one of the owners of Toronto Morales Odessa has been arrested for um, running a criminal organisation in the city of Odessa. Uh, Allegations involve um, basically taking over all of the planning permission, the acquisition of public property, and on top of that paying off local officials with regards to all of that. And he's been given a 129 million hryvnia bail um because he's been well held in custody as a result of that just this week so we'll see how that progresses obviously 129 million for multi-millionaire businessman in ukraine probably isn't that much i think it's just under three million uh euros and we'll see how that progresses over this winter. But obviously, that I don't think is going to be quite a quick case to resolve. How that's going to impact the club in the <laughs> over the winter, bringing in players? Who knows? Might have quite a big one. And I think Granov- Granovsky is also involved in those investigations because they're both business partners. So it could be another sort of shit show for Trono Moritz, Unfortunately, and obviously, as we know, they're second bottom. Uh, just above the truly atrocious uh, FC Lviv, who've also been playing terribly well, who've also been playing terribly this season.
1: Sorry, Andrew, do you remember which position you put them before the season?
0: Yeah, somewhere in the <laughs> top ten. So number uh, six,
1: number six. wow
0: well, there you go. The Konoharachu effect has not has uh, not gone as well as I had hoped, and yeah even though they're playing in Toronto, in odessa at the trnavor stadium and everything's been relatively stable for the past few months to them still can't get a good result out of them and there's even rumors that their most creative player Brajaro, is being linked with a move to another side in the premier, to the in the premier league as in uh either alexandria or somewhere like that that are looking at him and if they lose him And they're probably going to lose like their main creative outlet, and they'll be struggling even more.
2: Is he? He's the guy that's in the under twenty one national team. Yeah, yeah, looks good. Good prospect. Begin. Sorry to any Moritz fans, but I I think it'd be quite good for him to get out there and into a more attack orientated side. Another guy, it's quite nice in prep for this. I hit my wife scout to pieces and I found Vitaly Mikhailov. He's a he's somebody that's I'm I'm gonna spend some time watching and researching up on him for any of you, you scouts out there, just turned 17 at FC Lviv. Uh hopefully the team will disappear from the UPL, but Mikhailov will move on in in another direction. Um, but for somebody who's only just turned 17, been playing. First team football as a 16-year-old. Exciting times. There's another good prospect coming through in
1: Ukrainian football. I'm just saying that off the data. Stay tuned to this space. This was brought to you by the man who discovered Ojereczko and Yarmuluk.
2: Right. Guys, I think that's it for tonight.
0: I mean, I think it's been been a bit of a while since our last episode. Worth just mentioning that uh, the under-21s played in their friendlies and our good friend Max Kociriavi got a goal on his debut. Obviously, hopefully in the uh, foresight now of Ruslan Rotan to include him possibly in his squad for next summer's tournament, which... I think over the next few episodes and months, we'll be having a bit more focus on the under 21s with that season, with that tournament coming up at the end of the season. Worth just taking a look at the progress of a lot of those players that are going to be playing across the continent, Um, including the likes of Kukarevic, who's playing quite well in Scotland. Kujiavi, not playing as much as we probably want for St. Johnston, maybe might get a move in the winter. Who knows, you know, in terms of a loan or something like that. And mm-hmm. elsewhere, um, there's also these questions of Ruslan Rotan Is he going to be staying as the under-21 manager? Because as far as I'm aware, I've heard some rumours, like Tato Takewa reporting, that there's talk that he could enter Serhita Brov's backroom staff if Serhita or when Serhita becomes the new Ukraine national team manager, which seems kind of inevitable as far as... Um, to care are making out that he's either going to come soon, possibly for the England game. Uh, Not sure how that's going to be unless he's sort of sacked by Alain or something beforehand or most likely in the summer um, because Abrov has been in Kiev of late. He did have meetings with Uaf. He was apparently having meetings with people from the president's office as well. Whether that's connected to the actual uh, national team job is another question. Obviously, all these problems that we're currently seeing in terms of the uh, trials and arrests of of Pavelko and uh, Zapisotsky, we, we'll see. We'll see. But it, it means that I think that 2023 is going to be pretty full on now everyone's in this sort of weird holiday mode as it always comes in ukraine regardless of obviously the current situation you know in football that i i mean uh you know people have got oh the the new year's coming up the ukrainian christmas is coming up and all that kind of stuff we'll deal with the main problems once ever once everyone comes back to training uh and the likes so fingers um Fingers on the pulse, guys. I think it's going to probably all come to a big head um, at the uh, at the start of next season, at the start of next year.
1: And yeah, speaking 20. of speaking of big heads, there uh, in case of uh, Sergey Rebrov joining the national team and Ruslan Rotten joining his staff, people's favorite Alexander Petrakov would probably take charge of U nineteen or U or U twenty one team, which he I believe hasn't done yet in his career. And that would be another thing to follow up on rather than actually the national team adventures, because as we know, where Petrov is, there is history to be made.
0: And just on that topic of Alexander Petrov, there is a, going to be the premiere, nationwide premiere of a brand new documentary film that was shot by ESPN coming out on Sunday, the 11th as far as i'm aware uh on espn espn plus which i think is a subsidiary of disney plus so maybe you might be able to watch it globally but as far as i'm aware it's debuting in the states so for any of our listeners out there watch that five thirty eastern time it's called remember the blue and yellow and basically the ES- espn team one of their famous journalists and broadcasters Wright thompson absolutely great guy um real southerner. Uh he, he larger than life character, honestly fantastic. He is basically the guy who has been following the Ukraine national team throughout this 2022. The tumultuous campaign that Ukraine obviously had from the disappointment at the World Cup playoffs, then through the Nations League and everything that's gone along with it. There's gonna be exclusive interviews with Petrakov, with Yarmolenko, um with Mudrik and loads of other people. So do tune into that. I think it's going to be a great uh, bit of documentary and I think everyone should tune into that.
2: It's going to be a very interesting 2023 and here at Ukraine Plus Football, we will be bringing you all of the insight into all the goings on throughout Ukrainian football. That's it for tonight, Ray Andrew been great to have you with us as always. Ray, hope you're settling in over there
1: well. Yeah, it feels like uh, I moved into the place where the Ukrainians are just uh, up, keep coming, you know, uh, almost 600,000 to be coming in uh, during the next month. And well, uh, I don't think I'll be getting my foot off the gas uh, when it comes to falling Ukrainian football, so unless I make it back to warmer countries uh, sometime next year, which I probably will do. Uh, until then, uh, watch this space and I'm pleased to be here as always.
2: Uh, great, great to have you here as well. And we, we will have a beer sometime in hopefully the not too far future. Andrew. Great, as always, to have you here.
0: Hopefully, once the World Cup's over, we'll be seeing a bit more of Yehudy Al-Mulyuk playing for Brentford, as obviously he's made his first team debut now. He's been playing really well for the under-19s, Ukraine under-19s. Alexander Zinchikov should be coming back soon, obviously, for Arsenal and everything else that we'll probably be able to focus a bit more on during the winter break uh, whilst the UPL is away. And bit of focus on the PFL coming up soon guys so do keep uh, your eyes out for that one
2: oh yes oh yes finally we're bringing you the real not some bolts football oh that's in the near future until then take care wherever you are stay safe and slava ukraina bye bye for now